Good morning. If, if you would, uh, turn in your Bibles for our scripture reading this morning to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 25. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, with our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. There is nothing like the gathering. Whether you call it coming to church, or going to worship, or simply the gathering of Christians, for 2,000 years, men and women and boys and girls have gathered together regularly to worship God by hearing messages from the Scriptures by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, by reminding ourselves of the gospel, both through teaching from the Bible and through the ordinances of the Lord's Supper and baptism, and to spur one another on in faith to navigate the choppy waters of life. Four months ago, gatherings of nearly every kind were ceased across the country due to the spread of COVID-19. And it's hard to believe, isn't it, that the country could come to a grinding halt so quickly and for so long. Churches across the nation followed the guidance of our government and suspended physical gatherings of people. For four months, nearly a third of the entire year since we've been together, In one respect, it seems like it's been an eternity. (laughs) In another respect, when you look backwards at what has happened, it's sort of all a blur. And when you think about it that way, maybe it feels like it's gone quickly. But we haven't been entirely alone. We've had worship services online every week. We've had Zoom calls and prayer meetings and growth groups. And in some instances, small groups of people have gotten together. You have gotten together with other people, friends, family members, church members, to pray, to encourage each other, or maybe even to watch a service. And these things were were good. But they weren't enough. We tried to make it clear from the beginning that we weren't doing online church because there's really no such thing as online church. Rather, we were worshiping digitally together with the restrictions we had upon us by the technological means we had at our disposal. But it was, as the weeks went on, incredibly unsatisfying. And the reason why that it was unsatisfying is because for the church to function the way that God designed it, it needs to be regularly gathering together. There's nothing like the gathering. 
And so here we are. Now, there are many in our church family that are still susceptible to COVID-19 or unable to attend the physical gathering. If you're at home or online, uh, then please know that we have all kinds of time and patience for you in these circumstances, and the live stream will continue for quite some time. But eventually, eventually, when the time is right, we desperately desire for you to return to this physical gathering. Because there is nothing quite like the gathering. There are others who desired to come today, uh, but we're a little late on the registration. And so we accommodate next week with more slots and more times so that you can come to the gathering. And this morning I want to spend a, a few moments together reminding us of the why. Why do we go to church to gather? Why is this day of regathering so important? Why don't we just embrace the convenience of watching prayers and watching sermons and watching singing from our pajamas on YouTube? Why? Why are we here? And why will we keep coming back? Hebrews 10 gives us a piece of the why. It's not comprehensive in its nature. We could, we could give 15 more reasons beyond the reasons that we're going to give this morning. But in Hebrews 10, it points us to how God continues to grow us as Christians. And, and the writer of Hebrews gives us three exhortations. If you have your copy of the scriptures, please keep it open and look with me. You see in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 21, the part right before Mark read a moment ago, that because Jesus was the acceptable sacrifice to God on the cross, because he paid the penalty for your sin and for mine, this means that we can enter the holy place of God. The place where God is. We can be there without fear. And as a result, we're encouraged to do three things. And this morning we're going to briefly touch on the first two and spend more time on the third. The first thing that we're encouraged to do is to draw near to God in the assurance of faith. Look at verse 22. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Draw near to God with a full assurance of faith. You don't have to shrink back from Him. You need not live at a distance or in fear. But even though you might still struggle with your desires for God, or even though in the midst of a long time away from the gathering that you may have fallen into some bad habits and patterns and sinful behaviors, draw near to Him. Come close. To him. Engage in a posture and a disposition and the activities that constitute a, a close relationship with God. Pray, surrender your desires, seek to live in obedience. Read the word, fellowship with other Christians. Draw near to him. With an assurance of faith. 
To say that there's an assurance of faith is a way to say that you can be sure that faith in Jesus is enough. That you don't need to do anything else. And the reason why verse 22 tells us is because when you come in faith to God, your hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And your bodies are washed with pure water. Martin Luther once wrote, God our Father has made all things depend on faith. Whoever has faith will have everything. And whoever does not have faith will have nothing. And if the pandemic has taught us anything, I think it's helped people to slow down and in the midst of fear and uncertainty of what happens next, it causes us to ask the most important questions of life. And in the midst of that, the great news of the gospel shines so brightly that through Christ, you can draw near to God. And so draw near. The second exhortation we see in verse 23 And that is to hold fast to the confession of our hope. Let me read it for you. It says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The anchor of our hope is the Lord Jesus himself, and this hope is directed with a particular result that our salvation will be complete. Upon the returning of the Lord Jesus, he will bring us to be with him forever. And that means to hold fast to your hope is to mean that your hope is that which fixes your gaze on the horizon of human history. It means that when the waves of life are making you seasick, that you hold fast without that we keep pressing toward the horizon. That the idea of holding fast is something that's active in its connotation. It's not just simply passive. It takes effort. It takes intentionality. It takes reminding ourselves and reminding each other of the eternal promises of God for us. And it helps to see us through seasons of grief, of doubt, of pain, and of uncertainty. Hold fast to this hope. The anchor is sure. The future is coming. And the day is drawing near. And that leads to the third exhortation where we'll spend most of our consideration this morning. In light of what Jesus has done to allow us access to God, verse 24 says, Stir up one another to love and good works. First, draw near to God with assurance of faith. Second, hold fast to our confession, our hope. And now, draw near and stir up one another in love. Faith, hope, and love. 
the three major virtues of the Christian life. And it recalls to mind, doesn't all the verses in the Bible about faith, hope, and love and how they are intertwined in so many ways with each other? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or Ephesians 3, 17 and 18, or Romans 15, 13, or 1 Corinthians 13, 13, which says, So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. And so if the command is to consider how to stir one another up in love and good works, then how are we to do that? And the answer is described in verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here's the summary. You stir one another up in love and in good works as you encourage each other by gathering together in your worship of God. When you come to church on Sunday, this helps the people around you be more faithful to the Lord. We grow when we are together in a way that we cannot grow when we are apart. That's the thrust of the end of this passage. We grow when we're together in a way that we cannot grow when we are apart. The word for the gathering or for the church in the New Testament, ecclesia, is used 116 times. It's almost every single time translated church. And it means, at its heart, a physical gathering. It's not surprising to you that the church is not a building, that the church is not a live stream experience, that the church is not an organization, that the church is a gathering of people. And the language is strong. If you consider the text, he says, uh, not neglecting, or some of your translations might say forsaking the gathering. To neglect or to forsake something is to wrongfully abandon it. And the root word has this thrust of a covenant promise to it. It's the same root word that's used in the Old Testament to describe how Israel would abandon God or forsake his covenant to them. And it seems that in the time of Hebrews, there were some people who were abandoning the gathering. And the connotation was they were becoming dangerously close to abandoning God. And then there was a lot of different reasons for this in the first century. The fear of persecution was very real. The tension of mixed race, Jew and Gentile, was very real. There was personal difficulties, undoubtedly, for some. And for others, it was spiritual apathy. And today, there's a lot of reasons why people might be tempted to abandon or forsake the gathering of Christians. 
why people might be tempted to stop coming to church. The busyness of life is something that many of us feel. Kids' sports, aggressive careers, the desire to go to the lake every weekend or to play golf on Sunday morning or just to sit quietly with a cup of coffee at home for the only time this week. (laughs) Spiritual apathy is one of the temptations for us in abandoning the gathering. Personal preferences about what happens in the gathering might be tempting to us to abandon the gathering. I don't like the music or the music leader. I don't like the the fact that the pastor doesn't wear a tie or I don't like the fact that he does wear a suit. Or all kinds of other personal preferences that we might have. Or maybe, maybe in the last four months we've just really come to like the idea of live streaming a church service from home. Not you. Some of you. (laughs) But not you. And those things are real. Those things are powerful. And they will, if you let them, tempt you to abandon the gathering of Christians that fosters your love for God, for each other, that reminds you of the hope that you have in Jesus and helps you to draw near to Him in faith. But you know, even more than that, I think there are two temptations that that are constantly weighing against most of us as it relates to abandoning the gathering of Christians. The first one is that some of us just think to ourselves, "They, they just don't need me there. I mean, after all, it's a big church. There's a lot of people. I don't know that many people. I tend to blend into the background anyway. They won't miss me. Well, you couldn't be more mistaken. We all need each other in this gathering. Martin Luther again spoke of when he was thinking about the gathering and he confided, at home, in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. Verse 25 tells us to stir up one another. To stir up means to provoke. It means to arouse. I wonder if you've been provoked about anything lately. There's a lot of that going around these days and it almost always has negative connotation to it, doesn't it? To provoke someone to something. But here it's entirely positive. By your prayers, by your singing, by your attentiveness to the Word, by your presence, by your persistence in faith, by your example of holding on to hope, and by your encouraging words, you provoke the people around you to do the same. You Stir up within them the gospel sediment that has rested on the floor of their heart. You stir it up. You mix it in. And this is something that we are not able to necessarily stir up on our own. (laughs) In his book, 
outliers, Malcolm Gladwell tells the strange story of a man named Christopher Langan, who was a genius with a staggering IQ of 195. By way of comparison, Einstein had an IQ of approximately 150. During high school, Langan could ace any foreign language exam that he wanted to simply by skimming the textbook two to three minutes before the test. He scored a perfect score on his SAT even though he fell asleep in the middle of the exam. But Langan failed to use his exceptional gifts, and he ended up working on a horse farm in rural Missouri. And according to Gladwell, Langan never had a community to help him capitalize on these gifts. Gladwell summarizes the story of Langan in one sentence. He said that he had to make his way alone. And no one, not rock stars, not professional athletes, not software billionaires, and not even geniuses ever make it alone. We grow when we are together in ways that we cannot grow when we are apart. And finally, I think that perhaps one of the biggest temptations for Christians in the West to abandon the gathering is that we think that we are stronger than we really are. We think we're stronger than we are, most of us. We think that we can do it on our own. We think that it's just me and God and that's enough. We think we're stronger than we are. Just down the road at the Campfield Swim Club, there are two diving boards, a low dive and a high dive. And on any given day, the kids line up at the diving boards and jump off into the water with great delight and glee. And it's always fun to see the ones that jump for their very first time versus the ones that have been doing it summer after summer after summer for years. And it's a fairly common sight to see every now and again mixed in to the group of kids, a strapping athletic man or woman, 16, 17, 18 years old, that makes the climb to the high dive and catapults off the springboard high up into the air and gracefully and seemingly without effort does a perfect flip into the water. It's a common sight in an environment like that. A few years ago, I was there with my family and some friends on a really beautiful summer afternoon when a noticeable man, probably in his 40s, made the slow walk across the pool deck over toward the dive. And he was chiseled and in great shape. This was the type of guy that made most of the other guys at the swim club glance back at their wives just to make sure that they weren't staring at him across the way. And as he got in line behind a couple kids, and made the slow climb up to the top of the high dive, I sat back and watched, and I thought to myself, man, this guy is going to do something really cool right now. And he gracefully galloped to the edge of the board and 
propelled himself up into the air and began what appeared to be a perfect flip until he hit that water so hard with the perfect belly flop that it caused everyone in the place to gasp. The men were delighted that their marriages were safe. (laughs) And this poor gentleman made his way to the side and limped his way over to his chair, clearly in pain. And you you had to feel bad for him because he thought he was stronger than he was. He thought he was stronger than he was. And friends, that's a great picture of life in so many ways. You will belly flop your Christian life if you think you are stronger than you are. There's no doubt about it. If you think that it's just you riding solo with God, the result will for you be painful. I've never seen any healthy Christian who isn't a part of a local church family. I don't think it's possible, except in a very unique persecution or mission environment, for somebody to be healthy in their relationship, to be growing in their relationship with God without the gathering of Christians in a regular way. That's Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 seem to indicate to us this is God's design, that we grow together in ways that we cannot grow when we are apart. We grow when we're together in ways that we can't grow when we're apart. And I know for so many of us, I've heard it again and again and again, that you've been longing for this day, longing to be together, longing to sing together, longing to pray together, longing to hear God's Word together, longing to give together, longing to take the Lord's Supper together, to encourage each other all the more until the day comes. And one of my great hopes for this very unique time in history coming out of COVID-19 is that for those of us who have been struggling with consistency in our Christian life and on the fringe maybe of the gathering, halfway in and halfway out, I think that this break is going to do one of two things. It's either going to say to us, I realize how important this is and I need to be all in with the Lord and with these people. Or... This is not important to me at all. And I'm going to be all out. Friends, we encourage each other until the day comes. The day that he's referring to in verse 25 is when wrongs are made right, when judgment is rendered, when the eternal kingdom of God is established, and we achieve glory together. And so draw near to God with an assurance of faith. Hold fast with a confession of hope. Stir up one another in love. Faith, hope, and love. We grow when we are together in ways that we cannot grow when we are apart. And that's why Paul says in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. 
Let us pray together and let that be our very prayer this morning. Lord, we thank you for the joy of seeing each other, for hearing each other, for speaking and encouraging each other. God, help us all the more to see and to know and to feel this assurance of faith, this abounding hope, this stirring up in love. And we pray that as we enter a new season in the life of our church, that these things will be at the fore. Amen.